Good morning. It is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Good to see so many of you that you've come this morning to worship. And we want to extend a warm welcome to all the visitors that uh, might have come and to all of those that will be tuning in at their homes later in the week. We pray that uh, this morning's message will be a blessing to all of you. Uh, rejoice, for this is the day the Lord has made. Let us sing, worship, and be glad in it, for we have a great and loving God who receives us with singing. And I also notice that the tulips up front are showing their color making it especially welcome to be here. I would like to share with you Zephaniah 3, 17, where it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. We will rejoice over you. He will rejoice over you with singing. So for our opening prayer this morning, I would like you to join me in concluding with the Lord's Prayer after I say, as the Lord taught us to pray. Please stand if, uh, to pray if you're able. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have together this morning to worship you. Receive our prayers our praises in music and song. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to pray. Now receive our prayer as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever, amen. Mark, could you uh, please be seated. Mark, could you please come up and uh, lead us in more song? Good morning. I truly understood it was going to be raining by now, but it's not. We'll start by singing today. Actually, we have some pretty, pretty big songs. I think we'll start with sitting down and then we'll have to stand up after one or two. We'll start with singing number 5050, I Sing the Mighty Power of God.
Now your next song is not in your hymnal, it's in your bulletin as an insert. And it's called, When We All Get to Heaven. Will you please join me in rising if you may, or if you're able? song is in your hymnal again, number 535, entitled, How Great Thou Art. Thank you. 
announcement to make as well regarding the fundraiser that we ran a week ago. It went very well. It was a success. Many enjoyed the sausage and pierogies and pie that we offered, and we sure enjoyed serving it to you and working with you. We were able to raise $10,000. Yeah. And we want like to specifically say thank you again to everybody who helped us, to the volunteers who came. Not everybody got a thank you card that we tried to give out, but we sincerely thank you for all your help. At the fundraiser, I also gave a ministry report as well as yeah, a ministry report similar to what I gave about a month ago here so that people even in the community knew what we were um, raising funds for. And we also were able to share some very good news, good news that many of you have heard and many of you have, heard, uh, have not heard. And the very good news is that about a month ago, we had a very unique opportunity. We were contacted on a Sunday by the ministry that offers, that sells the books to us, these good and evil comic book Bibles. And they said, we have a very, a very good opportunity to buy Bibles, these comic books, at a very reduced price, but for a very short window of time. We had 36 hours to place an order. And books are being offered at 40% the price that they usually are. Not 40% off, but 60% off. So it felt like a Boxing Day sale. So I contacted some people I knew, and by the end of the next day, we had had enough funds pledged to us to buy 12 pallets of books, which is over 14,000 copies. Yeah, it was fun. We normally distribute about, oh, no more than 3,000 copies a year. And so this is 14,000 copies. And so we're very excited about that. We um, are looking forward to receiving the order in or near the end of summer, early fall. And so we are very pleased um, with that opportunity and to be able to take advantage of it. And um, we thank you for all the contributors to, um, to that purchase as well. The money, this 10,000 that we raised, will help pay for uh, shipping over four of the pallets that we made in that purchase, which is, um, which is wonderful. Shipping is one of our biggest expenses. Thank you again for everything. Thank you, Mark, for that update. Let's uh, turn to our uh, bulletins and take a look at that. Uh, page two, please take note of the various uh, committee meetings that are scheduled for this coming week and uh, our focus on mission. Uh, Preston and Myra, are, who are serving with Power to Change, are our missionaries of the week. And I received an update on their activities uh, from them, and I will highlight it to you. Preston is attending the Leader Impact Canada Summit in Winnipeg this weekend. Business leaders from across the country are coming together 
to learn from each other and plan to greater impact in the marketplaces of our cities. The Canadian ministry is growing significantly uh, to spiritually impact leaders, their homes, and their communities. And uh, next week, Preston is off to Bulgaria and uh, to encourage and train leaders to start leader impact in 12 new countries in Europe. And uh, there are two more training events in June for Preston. Uh, one is in Vietnam and one is in Colombia. Pray for strength and endurance for all of this travel and interactions with fellow leaders. Then also pray for Myra, as she is very busy with leadership at MEI. MEI stands for Mennonite Educational Institute, located in Abbotsford. Uh, God is uh, clearly using this school to help uh, kids know the Lord, as well as standing firm to biblically-based teaching in times uh, where many schools are wavering to pub public pressure. So uh, there's certainly uh, cause to uh, pause to pray for them. Then on to page three, uh, persons with health needs in Boundary Trails are Abe A. Friesen, Caroline Hamm and Dave Weeb, Swan Lake Hospital, Mary, and Mary Dick and John Suderman, and Red River Valley Lodge, Morris, Rita Friesen. A special note of thanks from Janet and Harold Paulson family. Thanks for the many prayers, expressions of condolences, and acts of kindness following the passing of our mother, Elma Nichol. Much appreciated. Uh, this morning, after this service, Pastor Victor and Irene uh, Cron will be serving at Cedar Estates. So their schedule this morning is quite full. Uh, and then uh, please review the rest of the bulletin at your own leisure. I would like to note that there are numerous people we know that are in need of our prayers, not on our prayer list. So I will give opportunity for you this morning in silent prayer to pray for them. So uh, let us pray, and I will give you silent prayer for a moment.
Our Heavenly Father, hear the prayers offered during our silent prayer. We thank you for your unwavering love and that you hear us and rejoice when we come to you. Today, we also bring before you Abe A. Friesen and Carolyn Hamm uh, and Dave Weeb, who are in uh, Boundary Trails, Mary Duick and John Suderman in Swan Lake Hospital, and Rita Friesen in Red River Valley Lodge in Morris. We pray that your healing hand be upon them, guide and comfort them with your assurance that they are not alone, but you are there with them on their life's journey. We pray for Preston and Myra as they work in the building of your kingdom. We thank you that the Leader Impact Program is an inspiration for leaders in Canada and beyond. We pray that you provide Preston, Preston with guidance and the strength to endure while he serves in their outreach. We pray for Myra as she serves at MEI, seeking to give guidance to young people, preparing them for their life's journey in faith. Lord, we thank you that we could witness the coronation of an earthly king and his resting on you as sovereign God, committing to serve justly with compassion and love. Give him the grace to honor his commitment. And may this also be an inspiration to us in our life's journey. We pray for Pastor Vic and, and Irene Cron as they bring the service to the residences attending at Cedar Estates later this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you have inspired Pastor Vic with a message for us in preparing to stand. Give him the words to speak and open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Now, as we share of the bounty entrusted to us, receive our offering, and may our giving be a blessing to the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward to receive the offering, uh, while uh, Ramona, Alicia, and Lori share their music with us.
Today's uh, scripture reading is from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 16, and then I will read right through chapter 2, the first three verses. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received honor and glory from God the Father when he, the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by prophets' own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will certainly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction and on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. That's for the scripture. Well, good morning to all of you. I hope you're all feeling well today, and uh, thank you, Bill, for welcoming the guests. We have our own little guests in our house, and one of them turned to me and said, hey, we're visitors too. <laughs> yes, you are. So it's good that we welcome each other here, and in fact, maybe uh, a good reminder for us, if you ever see someone here you don't know, make sure you go over there and find out who they are and introduce yourself and make them feel welcome. We want to be a, a church that feels like people want to be here, right? Well, who remembers my assignment? Does anyone remember what it is? Oh, I see some hands. Did anyone accomplish it? At least uh, there are a couple. I'm going to, I'm going to probably embarrass myself now because I'm going to try and, and honor that assignment. <laughs> His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence by which hmm, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It didn't take long 
I would encourage you to try it again. It's kind of interesting what scripture does to you when you actually have it in your head. It goes over and over and over and it works on you and it is living and active and it does shape us. Well, I'll encourage you to continue with that. In the passage uh, we looked at last time, uh, the first 15 verses of Second Peter, Peter was setting the stage to speak about false teachers and, and how they operate and so on, and then how to prepare to stand against false teachers. We didn't talk about that last time, but we will this time. Peter started by reminding the church of three true things. True identity, in verses three and four, the ones I just recited to you, Peter reminded them of their true identity. That is believing, as believing people, we participate in the divine nature of God, having escaped the corruption of the world. The second thing is true conduct. In verses five and six, Peter encouraged the church to practice true Christian conduct by adding to faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And the third thing is true reward. The true conduct leads to the true reward. And that true reward is uh, our entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus. And then finally, he said that he would keep on reminding, of these, and reminding them of these things, making every effort to do so that after he was gone, they would not forget. <clears throat> well, today we are continuing from there. And it seems to me that Peter was preparing his people to stand against false teachers. From verses 16 to the end of, the, end of uh, chapter 1, Peter gave the church reasons to accept the gospel for the truth that it is. And he also taught them where prophecy originates. So, uh, as we just heard it read, I'll, I'll read it again. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my son, beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Well, if you think about that a little bit, you know, in a court of law, when you have witnesses that have, that have seen, that have heard the evidence and were, were there, that is a powerful testimony and a difficult one to refute. And that is what Peter was offering to the church, solid uh, testimony about what is true, what actually took place, because he himself was an eyewitness. Do you remember the event that Peter's talking about? I'm sure you do. He's talking about the transfiguration. And I'm just gonna read a few verses of that for us. This is from Matthew 17, first six verses. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. The transfiguration of Jesus is the event to which Peter was referring. A big event for those three disciples. And if they were present at Jesus' baptism, they probably would have remembered that they had heard that voice from heaven before, because the same thing happened at Jesus' baptism. In his letter, Peter was being proactive in addressing potential accusations concerning his witness. Right? Want to make sure that you know this is true. One of the tactics of false teaching is to try to discredit true teaching. It's a propaganda trick that dates back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Nothing new. Uh, and it gets used all the time whenever somebody wants to push a false narrative. What Peter's testimony does is dispel the idea that he is making up stories to prop up a myth. On the high mountain where Jesus took his three closest disciples is where Peter was with Jesus and he saw Jesus transfigured and he heard the voice of the Father from heaven. The fact that Peter did not observe this alone but was there with James and John certifies that this is true, his testimony is true. There's another confirmation of truth that came out of that mountaintop experience. How many people were there on the mountain? Jesus took three up by themselves, right? So we think, well, that's four. But we also know there were two more. Moses and Elijah appeared, and they were talking with Jesus. So why is that significant? And why those two? Well... Would it not affirm the validity of the whole Old Testament scripture? Five times in the New Testament, the Old Testament scriptures are referred to as the law and the prophets. And here we have Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. So the transfiguration of Jesus and the voice of the cloud affirm the deity of Jesus while the presence of Moses and Elijah with the transfigured Jesus confirmed the authenticity of the Old Testament scripture. That's a lot of good affirmation, isn't it? That Jesus is Lord and that the scriptures are true. This is what Peter said. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, what does that mean? What does he mean by day dawning and morning star? Well, some have said that this refers to the, the, the dawn of the day when, when the morning star, which is, a, which is a metaphor for Jesus, rose from the dead. Now, it could mean that, but another interpretation suggests that this refers to the day of Christ's return. And this would make more sense for the simple reason that um, 
Jesus had already risen. So his statement wouldn't make any sense, right? Why would Peter encourage them to pay attention to the scripture until an event that had already happened? Therefore, Peter's encouragement here is to the church to pay attention to the scriptures as a lamp shining in the darkness until the day Jesus returns. And that's what we're doing today. We're paying attention to the scriptures. Now in the category of what does the Bible say about itself, this is significant because here you have New Testament affirmation that the Old Testament should be heeded until Jesus returns. And so this is another rebuke to false teachers and those who would discredit the Old Testament. You cannot separate the prophetic word from the morning star. You cannot separate the Old Testament from Jesus. Now in laying a foundation of truth in preparation to combat falsehood, uh, just a review here, Peter pointed out three true things. Their identity as believers, their true Christian conduct, which results in the third, which is true, the true reward. And then Peter pointed out that he, there was also truth in his witness because he was an eyewitness. And it was an affirmation of the majesty and deity of Jesus and also the word of God, the, the, uh, the law and the prophets. Now, there is one more affirmation of the truth of the gospel that Peter wanted the church to know. In verses 21 and 22, he says this, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. It is not the minds of men that discern the times or the words of God to interpret a prophecy from scripture. Neither do we interpret scripture when we read it apart from the same Holy Spirit that authored the scriptures. It is not the will of man that produces prophecy. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this puts to rest the idea that people have any role in the creative process of prophecy. The role of men is simply to deliver when the Holy Spirit has made it known to them. Prophecy originates with God and not with man. So we have good reasons to believe the gospel. <clears throat> Peter equipped the church to be ready for false teachers. And so now he is ready to, to look at them. And we get to chapter two, and his, his first line there is, but false prophets also arose among the people. That statement is a reference to the past. In the days of the Old Testament, when there were prophets in Israel, there were false prophets as well, is what he's saying. Just as there will be false teachers among you. And this is a reference to the future. And Peter's warning is that just as they were there in the past, they will also be there in the future. And now he begins to talk about their activity. These are the things by which we recognize them. <clears throat> he says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It makes perfect sense that Peter was preparing the church to stand. If this was what the church was going to face, then preparation was necessary. And I think we can say the same thing for us today. We need to prepare to stand. Are we preparing? I think we are. We started Bible studies, we're getting into the word, and we, uh, uh, we keep encouraging each other that we want to stand on the truth. Can we observe false teaching and false teachers in our day? Well, let's look at Peter's words about how they operate. So the first word is secretly. This speaks of process. This is how they do things. False prophets try to sneak things into the church, whether teachings or practices. And they like to slide things in that the church is, as a whole is not given an opportunity to evaluate. That's why it's important for us as, as believing people to be above board in all our dealings so that things are not hidden from the body. Secrecy breeds mistrust. If we are all above board, then we will build a high trust among us and a strong fellowship. False teachers like secrecy so that they can advance their agendas without the scrutiny of the church. The second word is destructive heresies. <clears throat> this is about teachings. There's no end to destructive teachings entering the church. Obvious ones are that God blesses same-sex unions, that God does not condemn homosexual practice, that a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell, that all people are eventually saved, that all religions lead to the same God, that the God of war cannot be reconciled with the Prince of Peace, that the Bible is not trustworthy, and so on. And there are a lot of less obvious heresies as well that creep in. This is why Peter encourages the church to pay attention to the prophetic word as to a lamp shining in a dark place. If we don't do this, we will be caught off guard. That's why it's important for us to sit together with other believers around the word of God and discuss them and talk about what they mean so that any of us doesn't go astray. We're kind of held together by the body, right? It's an important part of us being a fellowship. The third word that describes the activity of false prophets is denying the master who bought them. Because false teachers have succumbed to destructive heresies in their own thinking, eventually the true Jesus does not fit their narrative. For example, there are those who cannot imagine that God would send anyone to hell. Well, you don't have to go far down that road before people begin to question a God that would send his own son to, the, to death by crucifixion. They eventually accuse God of being, uh, or of divine child abuse. Uh, you might have heard that. 
I also heard a church-going man tell me that it didn't matter if Jesus was an actual person or not. It was the story of self-sacrifice that was of value, not the actual death of the real Son of God. Well, once you believe those kinds of heresies, you have no need for Jesus. They have denied the master who bought them. The fourth word is sensuality. Sensuality has to do with the senses, uh, what we see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. So the experience of your senses and your feelings becomes the metric by which everything is gauged. And the world is very much in that mode right now. Such people ask questions like, how would you feel if someone told you that your lifestyle was sinful? Well, what's the implication of that question? <laughs> it implies that those bad feelings that, that somebody has, you, you shouldn't make them. We shouldn't make anyone feel bad, and we should let our feelings then guide our moral compass, because we don't want anyone to feel bad. That tactic is a powerful door opener to welcoming homosexual practice into the church, because our society has trained us to evaluate with our feelings rather than sound thinking. Many will follow their sensuality, Peter said. Fifth word is blasphemed. Because of the practices and teachings of false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, blaspheme isn't a word that we use all that often, so it'll help to define it. Blasphemy may be defined as this, to speak in terms of impious irreverence to revile or speak falsely of. In other words, uh, in speaking about someone or something with no respect, with slander, and with lies. It certainly happens in society, but do we find it happening in the church? <clears throat> if we are moved to thinking with our senses and our feelings, and if our destructive heresies have crept in, or if destructive heresies have crept into the church, then the way of truth is already being blasphemed in the church. Because in that scenario, the truth that rules is the truth of sensuality. Blaspheme is the natural outcome of all these other practices that I've already mentioned. It'll just come. Our thinking, our meditating, and our evaluating must be done with the mind, with the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. Or we will find ourselves blaspheming just the same. The sixth word is exploit. In their greed, they will exploit you. In other words, false prophets will make use of you for their own gains. For example, a false teacher might invite one of us to a function that makes us morally uncomfortable. Uh, let's say a gay wedding, for example. Then later on, that false teach teacher could say something to someone else and say, well, Victor was there, must be okay. <laughs> you see how they make use of you for their 
to advance the idea that it's not so bad. Getting used by a false teacher to further their cause at your expense, that is exploitation. And the seventh word is false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Not only do these false teachers use you uh, for their purposes at your expense, they will do it by lying to you. There are many, uh, well, these are the ways of false teachers. They truly are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they need to be called out. I think our church was trying to do that in 2016 when Mennonite Church Manitoba wanted to lead us to accept false teaching. And the stories I hear about the encounter that took place in Morden between Winkler Berchtaller and the conference tells me that they were acting like false teachers trying to sway the constituency to wrong belief and to something that scripture actually condemns. Isaiah wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The leaders of Mennonite Church Manitoba and a whole lot of other conferences will need to be held account for their part in leading God's flock astray. And there's no lovely way to, to talk about this. The Bible has only one thing to say, and that's repent. Let me read a passage from Ezekiel 18. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And we could say, why will you die, O house of Menno? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. God's invitation is always that we would turn from our evil ways and live. Adherence to the word of God brings blessing, and despising his word brings the curse. So how do we wrap this up? We need to prepare ourselves to stand when false teachers show up. I think we are, and we just need to continue and, and be aware that that is what we are doing. We are preparing so that when we hear false teachers, we will be able to refute them. We need to anchor ourselves in the truth of Scripture and accept it as it really is, the Word of God. To read it, meditate on it, memorize it, and declare truth to each other. When false teachers come, you will recognize them because they despise the truth. And when they come, confront them. This does not mean that we should condemn them. Their sins will do that. Neither does it mean that we should uh, accuse them. That's the devil's work. We don't have to do either of those. Confront means something like this. I hear you saying this and doing that, but I read something else in the Bible, and they don't line up. Can you explain? That would be a good way to confront somebody who is trying to convince you of something false. They will either justify their actions, discredit the Bible, 
or discredit you if they refuse to be corrected. But if they're willing to be taught, they will probably listen. And whether they are teachable or not, you can still declare truth to them. And you can do it with a smile on your face. Here's what the Word of God says. I encourage you to do the same. The purpose of confrontation is to expose lies and win people. We want to win people. Because we all know people who have been sucked in by lies. We have family, we have friends, uh, and we wish that they would see what they're doing. And so we maintain relationship. If the false teacher persists in his or her ways, then at some point you have to let that person go. Paul wrote in Corinthians, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. We cannot fix people. God does that. Once we've presented the truth and it is refused, we've done our part. After that, we can pray. And we still love, we still practice kindness, we still maintain relationship, but we hold the line on the truth of God. So hold high the truth. Do not be overrun by the arrogance of false teachers. They expect you to change your thinking, but stand firm. You should expect the same of them. I'll end with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for today's scripture. We do want to be a people who stand on truth. And we receive and accept what Peter gave us today as evidence of truth. And we want to stand on that truth, Father, so that when evildoers come to push us over and destroy us, people within the church to destroy our faith in what is true. I pray that you'll give us courage and I pray that the preparation that we do will serve us well in standing for the truth. So Father, go with us as we prepare. We want to be found faithful. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Our closing song is called, number, or is, is called We Praise Thee, O God. It's number 527. We will sing the first four verses and we will take the closing from... Victor, and then we'll sing the last verse. Please rise.
you receive this benediction and this blessing. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.